Hello and welcome back to After the Whistle Sports Podcast. I'm back again with Jonathan. Um, we're going to do something a little bit interesting this week. Just I'm just going to start off. Uh, we're going to do our normal recap Monday afternoon uh, podcast where we go through our base takeaways, the base games, and of course our rankings for the week. Um, but we're also going to record at least sometime tonight the uh, Best Bets podcast we usually do at the end of the week. Um, we've struggled to... to like find time to do that, but we are for sure going to do that at the end of this episode. So they're going to be posted in two separate episodes. I'll probably post the second one, the best bets one closer to um, game time, probably like Friday night or Thursday night. But yeah, we should have a lot of content coming out, which is fun. And it's perfectly timed because this is when the season starts to heat up. Like this is, you, we were talking about this before, but this is make or break. Like this is a make or break week. Yeah, th- this is when we start to, to focus a little more on resumes and not about just like, Oh, who's better than who? Like this is, this is the point in the season when wins and losses start to mean something. And I also, I feel like even just doing my rankings, I I haven't checked. I saw yours a little bit for this week, but just looking at my rankings, I started to move teams a little bit more than I usually do. Um, If like, I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, the first few weeks I was pretty, stagnant with where I place teams just because I need to see more data but at this point now is when I'm moving teams up completely out of the top 25 or from unranked to like 15th that's kind of what I'm doing now so uh this is like major college football implications playoff implications this weekend but let's start first with what happened last week um we had some interesting games and uh, like the ones I think I want to highlight just in terms of what I watched in order was, of course, I, I watched the Michigan game to start. Um, they won by 21, didn't cover the spread. The spread was, I think, 22 and a half. Yeah, they were right there. Um, Indiana played them close for the first half. Uh, Michigan didn't show much on offense. They ran with Blake Corum. Um, Ronnie Bell had 11 receptions for 121 yards. And JJ played one of like – I don't know. He played, I feel like he played one of his worst games on the season. He was still 28 for 36 for 300 yards and three touchdowns. <laughs> He'll do that. I mean, yeah. And then not to mention the fact that Michigan's defense was very, very dominant in the second half um, to the point where I, I think the yardage stats for Indiana was like less than like 60 the entire second half. So yeah. And, and Michigan ended up doubling up in yardage on the game. So final score, Michigan not covering really doesn't, indicate how that whole game went yeah and just like from somebody who watches a lot of Michigan football and like I usually rewatch the games too so I tend to pick up on some of the tendencies that they have and I notice and this is something Harbaugh has done basically every stop he's been at but I think it was out of a single back formation lined up to left, to either side of the quarterback Michigan ran the ball 19 out of 20 times out of that set when when there's uh when there was a running back in the game, I think they ran it total like 24 times out of like 26 or something out of those sets. And so some people like I was watching Joe Klatt, who's now a resident Michigan um advisor because Michigan's always on big noon kickoff, but mm-hmm. he was saying that um he was basically calling the plays before they happened because of what the set Michigan ran. 
And I've seen people on Twitter say, oh, like, this is just dry offensive play calling. Like, we have two new coordinators this year, Matt Weiss and Sharon Moore. Like, what's doing this? I've got I've got a different take on it. And and I think that's just because I've seen Harbaugh coach these teams a lot. Like, this is what he does. Like, there are some teams like Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia who can throw different stuff at every team each week and still just beat everyone. But Michigan can't afford to do that. Like, they need to game plan and create tendencies that they can then break against the Penn States and the Ohio States. So a a couple takeaways based off of what you just said. First of all, you mentioned Clapp being like a resident Michigan advisor. And like when you go to that many games and your job is to analyze what's going on in the game, and this is now the third week in a row that you've seen a team, I would expect that an analyst would pick up on a lot of stuff that they do out of certain formations. Second of all, Michigan 6-0. They're 3-0 in conference play. You can say the Maryland game was close. Michigan never really was going to lose that one. They, they it was scored not, a garbage time. They scored a garbage time touchdown with three seconds. It was never really out of hand. They dominated Iowa. They dominated Indiana in the second half. If Michigan is being predictable right now, I think it is because that Harbaugh and the offensive coordinators don't want to show all their cards when they don't have to. That's what I'm saying. I, that's and this is Harbaugh does this. This is not like oh, this is a new offensive coordinator. This is Harbaugh every stop he's been at. Like, first of all, like their offense hasn't been, hasn't been bad in any of the games they've they've played. It's been pretty good, and honestly, like. Looking at it, Blake Corm averaging only five yards a carry might be his worst game of the season for, for him, which would be a really good game for pretty much any other running back in the country. But I think that this weekend against Penn State, and we'll obviously get more in depth of that game, but you are probably going to see Michigan do a lot of things that they haven't done yet this season. Yeah, I'm, I'm really thinking that this is a game, especially at home. Like again, they played the last two games on the road, and I know that the opponents – like both Iowa and Indiana have problems with their teams and they aren't the strongest teams, but anytime you play two back-to-back games on the road mm-hmm. before a really big matchup, like that's kind of the stuff you're going to see. Like you, you are going to see winning the game, ball control football, and you don't want to turn the ball over. That's one thing you don't want to do on the road against an inferior opponent. And you don't want to throw everything you got. Right. Cause then that sets you up very poorly for the, for the future games against teams that you need to need to win at. And I think they successfully did that. Um, again, there are some worries still with this team. Um, the passing offense in the first half, at least, I still think it's it's not what it, it should be. And it's still a work in progress. Yeah. Um, and listen, Penn State, and we'll talk about this when we go into the games, but Penn State will force Michigan to throw the ball. Um, they play – heavy man-to-man coverage on the outside mm-hmm. and they have good cornerbacks but you can have the best cornerbacks in the world and we've seen this with really really good teams and with the way that modern football works if you play heavy man-to-man coverage and you have a quarterback who can throw the ball you can beat them and so that's what i'm looking to see out of this game yeah with penn state it's really just like the fact that like their corners are so good. Joey Porter is going to be a first round pick and they have a freshman in um 
I be- I'm forgetting his a Kalen King. That's that's who it is. Who I believe is like the number one graded corner on PFF this year as a redshirt freshman. But, but I, I also think that's because like those I've seen those stats and I like those make sense. But they've all they also play like the most man to man bump coverage. Maybe yeah. Man, so. And also like good wide like Michigan has good wide receivers that can beat that. So like if Penn State does make this a game and does win this game it's probably because the, their defensive line which is also very good is getting in the backfield making jj uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah i don't want to go too far that's probably my bad <laughs> trying to no, um, go through the games in the future but let's move on um there were a couple of scores that were definitely interesting and in a couple of games where um i thought needed to be highlighted especially on this podcast and as i was watching this game i was thinking of what you would say what would you say about this because texas a&m had a chance to beat alabama minus bryce young so bryce young did not play which is necessary to understand but another year another year a&m like could have toppled alabama and it wasn't due to the fact that a&m played very well I just think Alabama did not show up as it normally showed up. Haynes King was 25 for 46 with 250 yards, two touchdowns. And they were almost, they almost, they almost beat Alabama. They were one, they were two yards away from beating Alabama. Are you worried? AM was outgained by 70 yards. Um, Bama turned the ball over four times. Um, AM was five of 17 on third down and nearly won the game um, against the backup quarterback, I might add. AM fans trying to spin this as progress. I'm going to start with the AM side. AM fans trying to spin this as progress was really comical, really comical because they did not play well. And like, say what you want about how poorly Bama played because they did play very bad, but if Bryce Young is in there, it's just a different game. Like, I don't – it's kind of the same thing that I kind of feel. And Milrow didn't play very well. But even against Arkansas when he did play well, it's kind of just the feeling that I get when DJ was playing, when Clemson, when Trevor Lawrence was out with COVID for Clemson a couple years ago. It's just a different game. Like, like Milrow can play as well – as he can and Bryce will be will be better and simply put like Bama could be in trouble in a lot of games if Bryce Young isn't out there yeah and if we want to pick and choose kind of besides the Bryce Young thing where the weaknesses stood out for Alabama um it was something that we said maybe every single week up until this point about this team is that I don't know who on the outside at the receiver position is the playmaker. Mm-hmm. And if you look at what they did, I mean, Jermaine Burton, three receptions, 48 yards, and a touchdown, um, was the leading receiver for the team, by the way. He's fine. So I, last... I, I, I don't think this is due to Bryce Young. Like, I don't think these, these throw, passing numbers are due to the fact that it was Jalen Moreau instead of Bryce Young. Like, I think this has been a problem. Interesting. So... Last week, when Bryce was in there to start the game against Arkansas, the first drive, they had a 41-yard pass to Kobe Prentice. Go back to Texas. Go back to the Texas game. We had the the, same complaints. 
about the, the, sec- the second drive, 47-yard touchdown to Prentice. On the third drive, uh, they didn't hit a big play on this drive, but they, mo- they moved the ball pretty well. Um, wait, they moved the ball 80, 80 yards on this drive. So, Oh, no, they hit a 53-yard pass to Isaiah Bond. So I do think part of that is that Bryce isn't in there because Bryce has just – Go back go back to the Texas game. Their leading receiver was Jameer Gibbs, the running back. They also were very injured during that game at receiver. That is true. But, I mean, Brooks – Ja'Cory Brooks still played. Prentice Listen, played. Here's the thing. Like, I, I think that once Bryce comes – like, I don't think Bama's as explosive right now as they they want to be. You're you're absolutely right about that, especially in but the I, What I'm saying is who who steps away? Jermaine Burton is not the guy there. And no, and Burton's want, never been a deep threat. I think I think it's going to have to be Kobe Prentice when Bryce comes back. But they they're like it's the fact that like when Milrose in there, they're not even like a threat to hit hit a big pass. Everything's on the ground. But like. Okay, so let's say Prentice does step up. First of all, true freshman wide receiver. Yeah. First of all, he's played well, but, like, if we're talking about real game changers, like, he was a top 100 recruit, but he was, like, the 75th recruit. Like, yeah, he's not an Alabama – he's not an Ohio State wide receiver. No, they don't have Ohio State guys. So so my question is, on the season, he's got 17 receptions for 212 yards and a touchdown. And a lot of these are off big plays because he's averaging 12.5 yards per reception. Yeah, it's a lot. So – my question is, when you go up against these SEC cornerbacks, like they have with Texas A&M recently, who has, who's got a very good secondary, like who do you lean towards even with Bryce Young? Because going again, going back to the Texas game, we said who's going to step up at wide receiver. And I expected guys to step up. And I know like, there's been injuries. Who else? Like who else before the playoff are you even like, worried about like Bama's team like wide receivers creating separation like I've seen I've seen Georgia like their corners are probably the weakest part of their defense and like people will say the name Keele Ringo but Ringo is like really over aggressive and gets penalized a lot so like are Georgia's cornerbacks better than AM's? probably but like and again like Alabama struggled to move the ball again like Bryce is going to be in there instead of Milrow are Georgia's cornerbacks better than Texas's? Are Georgia's corners better than Texas's? Yes. Yeah, but Texas second is and you watched that Alabama game just like I did against Texas earlier in the season. Yeah, no, they're they, oh, they 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 the gonna figure it out. They've always got first round wide receivers. People take that for granted. People do. People just assume that they're gonna they're gonna rebuild that wide receiver just like they rebuild at every other position. I, I will but say I don't that think that's gonna happen. I will say that I've been a little disappointed in Ja'Cory Brooks because, like, after what he did at the end of the year as a freshman last year, I thought he was going to be this, like, super explosive player for them, and he hasn't been. I assumed Brooks was going to be the guy. That's He's personally – I assumed he was going to be the guy. But – and, I, listen, I don't know if this is Bill O'Brien. Just, again, we talked about coaches kind of keeping their stuff um, until they get to, like, the bulk of their schedule later in the year. But – like this is not the Alabama offense that we've seen recently. It's just no, but like I, I also think like their line of scrimmage on both sides is, is so good that like they don't have to be like this overly explosive team to win a national championship this year. But but at the same time, like it, it certainly would separate them if they could figure this out. 
let's I'm curious to see because I do think Tennessee will score points. Tennessee's a super explosive team and they, they will score points and and their offensive I, line's good. Yes, so. and I, I assume Bryce Young is going to play. Yeah, I mean he he has to, otherwise, like they're gonna be in trouble. And I think that Alabama will need to score 30 points. Like, I think that's Probably. a big If they want to win the game, they have to score 30 points. Like, I'm listen, nervous. I would be, trust me, if I was an Alabama fan, I would be nervous. Because I, I, I don't think they rebuilt at that position. I talked up the LSC defense all offseason, all, the first six weeks of the season. And I know there were some fluke plays, like Tennessee, Alice, you muffed the kickoff and stuff like stuff like that. But Tennessee scored 40 points and had 502 yards of offense. And they'll score. And, and let's look at Alabama's schedule in terms of, like, them needing to achieve what they need to achieve on offense. They got Tennessee on the road next week. That's the big one. Then they have Mississippi State at home. Then they have LSU. And then they're on the road at Ole Miss. I mean, you have to score points in those games. You do. And Mississippi, so Mississippi State so also like looking at their schedule, like it I don't think they're gonna lose to, t- to Tennessee if Bryce is in there. I I don't. I like Tennessee a lot. I don't think their defense is at the level that they can win that win that game if Bryce is in there. Miller Milrow's in there, completely different story. But Mississippi State, honestly, the way they've been playing, little worrying because Will Rogers has been the best deep passer in the country this year. Not not sure if that's the country or the SEC, but it's one of the two. Mississippi State does have explosive players on the outside. They run the ball well, and their defense is better than people will give it credit for. So I agree. I know I, like, I do agree. I know that. I... Sorry, I know that game is at Alabama, and Bama's lost. I want to say like six games at home since two thousand eight under Saban. But like, if you go back and like look at like the history of the quarterbacks that have beaten Saban at home and like the offenses that have beaten Saban at home, like Mississippi state, like kind of fits that criteria. Yeah. And also the the one I'm highlighting, and this is looking at, I'm highlighting Ole Miss because I do think their defense is actually really good. Um, Like I I think that unit is, is pretty solid and we know what Ole Miss is going to do. And we know Lane Kiffin is going to put points on the board, no matter how he does it. And so, again, I'm not super worried about Alabama, but I wouldn't be surprised if they play more old-school Nick Saban, control the ball, especially in these type of matchups where you might get, like, you're going to get a ton of offensive possessions. Where you just, like, keep Hendon Hooker off the field. For, exactly, yeah. You, you, you only give him 24, 25 yep. minutes. Yeah, we are going to see some old-school Saban. That's my prediction for the next few weeks. And, like, I, football. I think they can maybe if they do go to that, they can maybe take it um kind of up a notch and still play that old style run the ball, like physical line play, really good linebackers type of stuff. Because like on third down, like Jameer Gibbs is such a threat at catching the ball out of the backfield that like you can on third down like get tricky with him and throw the these screens and Texas routes over the middle with him. Yeah. Let's move on. Um, let's see. What other matches want to highlight? Some of these games were very close, but ended up with scores that were a little bit deceiving. I think one of those, like Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. Um, Oklahoma State ended up winning, but I mean, Texas Tech was definitely in this game. Um, 
they like Aaron Morton, who is the freshman quarterback for Texas Tech, was like hobbling off the field basically. Like every position. highly recruited kid, by the way. Yeah, no, but he was literally like hobbling onto the field and they kept running him. And I was like, don't run him out there. Don't run him out there. Like, what are you guys doing? Um, but he threw for, I mean, he was crazy this game. Uh, he threw 62 times, which is nuts. And they ended up playing. no O'Connell stuff. Yeah, they, they played they played Oklahoma State really close, but they lost. So um, it did actually answer my question, though. Because remember last podcast we were talking about is te- how good is Texas Tech? Remember that? That was our whole debate because you, you, we were talking about Texas. I don't think they're this like super great team, but like they're going they're to pretty give solid. Everyone, Listen, they're going they, to give everyone in that conference a tough time. They could have been in Oklahoma State. They this is on the, the road. Second, they could have. This is the second week in a row that Oklahoma State's been outgained by nearly 100 yards. I don't think they're as good as people are t- telling me they are. I I I agree, but until they lose, I, it's hard to. This, this is kind of like I'm like so like almost like not used to seeing this. This is like a like vintage like Mike Gundy team. Like it yeah. just score tr- score at will, and like I, I cannot believe that their offense is this good with Spencer Sanders in there. Like I just like he's just not like an Oklahoma State quarterback to, to me. Yeah, and like may, maybe that's why I'm lower on them than I feel like most people are. That and you know, they arguably could have lost their last two, but their schedule coming up, I don't know if you've seen it, brutal. They have to go yeah. to TCU, Texas at home, to Kansas State, to Kansas. I'd be pretty yeah. shocked. I, I see I'd, be pretty shocked if, I'd be pretty shocked if they don't go two and two in that stretch yeah. at best. Let's go out west real quick. Um, UCLA. Bruins. The Bruins, man, they, they – I mean, they pretty handily beat Utah. Again, the score, this one I actually think is is closer. They won by 10, but I think it's closer than what it the game really was, honestly, just by watching the game. I mean, Dorian Thompson-Robinson was really, really good. He was 18 for 23 for 300 yards passing and four touchdowns. That's not to mention what he did rushing. So, mm-hmm. uh, on, on the season, by the way, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, has thrown for 1,500 yards, 15 touchdowns, two picks. On the ground, he's averaging over 5.5 yards a carry and has four rushing touchdowns. I don't know if this guy is going to be in the Heisman conversation, but there are definitely some upcoming games for UCLA that can get him into it. Yeah, and listen, if if you are into betting and you listen to our Pac-12 preview that I did with Jack, and we went and looked at the plus, what was it, like 10,000 odds that Dorian Thompson-Robinson was going to win the Heisman. And we said, wow, that's that's like that's something you should look at for sure. And, uh, yeah, he's him. He actually is him. Chip, like, Chip's done a very nice do- job developing him. He's, he's gotten better every year. I've never seen a quarterback um, get this much better from his fourth year to his fifth year in my life. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> also... <laughs> We were looking at this in the in the preseason. I don't think I asked you this before, but is he the first quarterback to start like every every like to, to be every a quarterback game, in five like, years? Yeah. Every possible game for the same school. Like five years in five years. I mean, has he not gotten hurt like at all in four years? I think he has. No, he's been there. Hasn't he been there for five years? He has his COVID year. I think this yeah, is so his this, COVID this year. This is his senior year, right? Because he was. No, I want to see. Hold up, hold up. This man was in the. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He's a senior. 
Is he not a super senior? I don't know. He is. He is. His first year was He's a fifth year. He's a fifth year quarterback. Yeah, he started as a freshman. But he's a fifth year quarterback with no redshirt year. That's the yeah. I mean, he was a, he was a true freshman. Yes, and he played as a true freshman. Yeah, and, and like UCLA as UCLA when he was a freshman, a sophomore, and what did they play like four games his junior year? Well, like, I'm gonna count it and senior and. <laughs> And well, yeah, I mean, like last year, last year UCLA was pretty good, and I said before the season that they're going to be pretty good. I think I was honestly a year early on this team. Yeah. Like they yeah. are super efficient on offense. Honestly, like if Blake Corum is the best running back in the country, the second best one might be a former Michigan running back, Zach Charbonnet. He's amazing. He's good, man. He's good. He was going to be the the RB three on the Michigan team last year if he didn't transfer out. Yeah, and good good move by him. Yeah, smart. What he's what he's doing this year is pretty incredible. Yeah. By the way, seven point one yards to carry. By the way, if anyone wants this trivia for Dorian Thompson Robinson, I have statistics here that says that he did start games at quarterback in twenty eighteen. So, if that's true, I think he's the first player in college football to start at quarterback for five years at the same school. Yeah, I I mean so, a little trivia because like in order to get that fifth year, like you would have to have a COVID year because I don't think yep. you you if you want to play a fifth year without a COVID year, you have to grad transfer. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean that's probably right. Dang, that's that's a good stat. I like that one. <laughs> that's yeah, crazy. that's, that's <laughs> funny. I'm gonna crazy. use that. All right, let's move on. Um, anything else we really want to touch on? I mean, South Carolina, Shane Beamer. Beat the frauds, Kentucky. Thank God, uh, dude. I have, I want, I don't have it, but one of my friends has like under Kentucky under eight wins on the year. And I like, they started four and oh, and I'm like, I keep telling them, like, you'll be fine. Like, they're going to start losing. They're yeah. really not, they're really not efficient. Their offensive line's terrible and they're really not great at any position. And like, I don't want to compliment Will Levis, but like the backup quarterback is just so much worse than him, which I like don't even know how that's possible. Yeah. Um, some other scores, Kansas State won in an absolute shootout 10 to 9 against <laughs> Iowa State. Um terrible football being played down there in the Big 12. Like that's all I'm gonna say. Uh <laughs> we had TCU beat my beloved Kansas Jayhawks. No, no, you're now they're your beloved Kansas. <laughs> my beloved Kansas. Honestly, just because they, just because you don't like them, they they suddenly become a team I want to root for. I I ranked them this week, so we're, we're done. We're done with that. Yep. And then the we moment. have one more game I want to get through is Washington lost to Arizona State. Um, very sad day. Bad. But hey, very hey, bad. In, interim coaches went five and zero this week. So that's that's good for the culture. That is yeah. good for the interim coach culture. Right. Also, um. Real quick before we get into our top twenty-five, I want to mention that I'm I'm changing my pick to win the Big Ten West for probably the fourth straight week. Nice. Um, I'm I'm officially on the Wisconsin train now. Wow. So you really lean into the interim head coach? No, I I am, and honestly, like they get Minnesota at home. The game at Iowa doesn't look too tough anymore. Maryland could be kind of tough, but. You know, this, this was a team that got blown. This was a team that got blown out last week at home against Illinois. But now they're now more than a touchdown favorite at Michigan State this week. 
Well, Michigan State, they screwed up all the rankings. That's what Michigan State did. Dude, they made us overvalue all these teams. Yeah, I know. And now these teams are starting to lose. Like, I'm, I'm kind of worried that I'm kind of worried that I'm too high on Minnesota because of it. How did how did Washington lose to Arizona State? That it, is Michigan State's gonna finish three nine. This is this is hilarious. Is Michigan State the worst team in the Big Ten this year? Well, here's the thing. Like, are are they gonna beat Rutgers and Indiana at home? I I don't know. I think they. I don't think they will. I think they split. I think they lose to Rutgers, man. I think they lose both. Dude, we were talking. Dude, Big Game Boomer was talking about like top five Michigan State, and now like Sparty Nation's just like hoping for a split at home against Rutgers in Indiana at the year. This is why you don't pay coaches who have historically gone 15 and 16, 95 million dollars. And like, we're outplayed in like. 70% of their games last year. They should have lost to Nebraska. That should have been the red flag. Listen, I'm not paying a coach if they, like, scrape by Scott Frost, which is, like, almost every team. But, like – Hey, Ohio <laughs> State, like, barely scraped by Nebraska last year. Same with Michigan. Same with Michigan, so. <laughs> Still, man. Still. But the way, oh. the way Michigan State won that game was because Nebraska's punter punted it to the wrong side of the field. Yeah. So, whatever. Nebraska, they won this weekend, so I think they did. Can we Nebraska? Check on that, yeah. Yeah, no, they beat Rutgers. They came back. Nice. So, uh, it was that Mickey Joseph? 14-13 win in Piscataway. Nebraska is tied up t- atop the uh, the uh, Big Ten West. So. I, I need – I would love to see they're Nebraska all, win. The they're, all, they're, also four, they're also two touchdown dogs at Purdue this week. So You never know, man. Okay. Let's go on to our rankings. This has been probably one of my favorite segments just because I feel like at this point in the season, we've, we've started to separate some teams and we've had some different differing rankings here. So I'm going to start it off, change it at the top. I've got Ohio State as the number one team in the country. Uh, I think that this is the correct play. Like they haven't struggled at all. They've been really strong. Alabama and Georgia have both shown some weaknesses, and I know Bryce Young is injured, and that's partially reflected in the ranking. But Ohio State 1, Alabama 2, Georgia 3, Michigan 4, Clemson 5. All right. So for the uh, what, the fourth straight week, maybe there's a change in my top three. So Ohio State is 1, Alabama is 2, Georgia is 3, Tennessee is 4, and Michigan's 5. Tennessee's playing too well not to get the credit. Yeah, no, I'm fine with that. I've got, I've got no issues with that. Again, like, I need reasons, though. I, at least in the top five or top ten, like, it's hard for me to move teams down. It, it's, like, it's easier for me to move a team up into the top ten than it is for moved, to move a team down from their current spot, unless they show me something that, that I think that they played worse than what they're normally doing. One of these weeks, um, I'm just going to, like, completely change my rankings very randomly. And like it'll just be the week I just like to st- decide to part- start putting like more emphasis on like what your resume is. Yeah. Like actually like ranking teams how I would if I was like putting teams in the playoff. Yeah. Uh yeah, no, I, again I'm fine with that ranking. Um only main difference is the Ohio State and Tennessee jumping up. So that checks out. I mean, I got Tennessee six, UCLA Bruins at seven. This is a huge jump for me. I got USC eight and yes, 
it was purposeful that I put UCLA above USC. I think that they've played better. And I think that they've have like, they have a much better resume to this point, but that'll work itself out. So there's no real issues there. Same with Oregon at nine and then Penn state at 10 who um, Penn state to me might be the most fraudulent top 10 team we've seen. I, I really don't think they are, but I don't think both their resume or their play has been good enough to be top 10, but I can't put any other teams there. They're just inconsistent offensively, like very inconsistent. Yeah. And they are, they are better than they were last year, but it's still not like fantastic. Uh-uh. So six through 10 for me, six Clemson, seven USC, eight Texas. They're back folks. They are. Texas is back uh, every week. Every other week. No, they, they are back. I, I they, they are fully back. Nine, Oregon, 10, Penn State. Okay. I'm very similar to mine. Um, I personally have UCLA higher, but I, yeah, I mean, this stuff works itself out. Like, I, I don't think there's any problems with the Pac-12 teams being ranked the way they are currently. I was I was thinking about this 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 earlier this week or earlier today, I guess. Are we giving Oregon maybe a little too much credit for beating what is not a very good BYU team? Um, I think so, but you got to remember that I think we were really undervaluing Oregon due to how they played Georgia. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't think – like, the way that they've been playing, I think, is a lot better than what they showed against Georgia. And I had them pretty highly ranked in, in – my other rankings preseason. So like they keep winning. So I'm going to keep trying to bring them up to the point where they were at on my rankings before the season started. And like, like they keep looking pretty good. So. Yeah. I still listen. I, th- I still think UCLA is going to beat them in a few weeks. That's but, an, that's an interesting dynamic in that game. Both teams coming off a bye. The game's in Eugene. Oregon on paper obviously is better, but that's just a, it's one I feel just like Bo Nix could like, stupidly turn the ball over and like UCLA could win it. Yeah. Like and UCLA's got a linebackers. They they've got cornerback, they got a secondary, they got linebackers. Um the idea that UCLA is just Dorian Thompson Robinson, Zach Charbonnet is very absurd. Like I actually thought that they're a very well coached team. Um maybe Chip Kelly has finally figured it out. Oh Chip's good. Chip had it figured out last year. They just like the when he took over the program, Jim Mora left it in such a mess. Like they, yeah. they had like, they had like a year when Chip took over where like he was like, what do you allot eighty five scholarship players? I I want to say they I want to say they had a team where like they were had like seventy scholarship players. Like they weren't using like more than double digit of their scholarships. Yeah, and so I yeah to me I think that's fairly interesting. But I want to move on to the rankings. I got eleven. I got Oklahoma State. Coming off of a big win again, I've got Texas at 12. Texas is back, folks. They keep winning. They'll keep going up the board. Like, this is a team where I said before, it's harder for me to move teams down. Like, if Texas keeps playing the way that they play with Quinn Ewers, they will go up into my top 10. Like, no doubt. They will go up to my top five if they play that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got Wake Forest at 13, Mickey Mouse offense. Uh, we know how that is. They run the uh, – the offense that we're going to see Alabama start running in the next four years and then <laughs> stop it. And then we got TCU at 14, big win against Kansas. Um, TCU is, is as a, like as a program in general, 
they're so interesting. Like, I don't think that Max Duggan's like that good of a quarterback. No, yeah. but Sonny Dykes make, made him a good quarterback. Yeah, I know. Yeah, every time I watch him, he's way he's like better and better. And like there's there's such a weird team. Like they they beat SMU by eight. They beat Colorado, a very bad Colorado team. I guess like by 25. But like that team's terrible. So like like my thought process with TCU is they like they brought in a coach who's like an innovative and out of the box thinker and put him with a quarterback that has a really unique skill set and teams haven't quite figured it out yet. But we haven't even seen Quentin Johnson. Dude, like, he was unreal against Kansas. No, he was really good against Kansas, but like he wasn't crazy like that against Oklahoma or SMU. No, he's been kind of quiet this season, but like just like based on like his traits, like his physical like ability, like he's my wide receiver too in this next draft. I mean, yeah, he, it, uh, to me, it was one of the most talented wide receivers in the country, but that's kind of like – that's not a knock on TCU. It, it's more of, oh, this is like – they haven't even got him super involved, and when they do, like they're really tough to beat. Yeah. At least through the air. Um, let's see. TCU yeah. at 14 for you? Yeah, and at 15, I got Mississippi State. Okay, so pretty similar here outside of one. I have UCLA at 11. Um very close. Like I, I almost put him ahead of Penn State, but you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Penn State plays bad against Michigan. UCLA is in the top ten. Uh Oklahoma State 12. Still kind of skeptical about them. 13 TCU. 14. I moved Minnesota down, even though they had a bye week. But we'll we'll see what they bring. I still like them a lot. And then 15 Mississippi State, who I am ready to declare the second best team in the SEC West. Nice. I like that. I like, I, I really like these. Like I said, like for the last few weeks that once you get to like 11 through 16 or 17, like it starts to get a little bit sketchy, but yeah, I actually think that these teams have created their own tier and really like they, they've created a really solid tier. So yeah, this like Oklahoma state, like TCU, Miss state, Wake forest kind of, kind of vibe. Yeah. We can put Ole Miss in there. even. Yeah, though I'll, I'll put Ole Miss in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so 16, I got Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Again, like the lane train doesn't stop. Like he's this, he's that guy. Uh, the, can't team's, win games again. the team's good. And listen, their defense is really good. Like if, if you want to watch guys flying around, they have a ton of transfers out there. Like you got to watch Ole Miss's defense. Like those, those guys are, and it's so interesting because of how fast Ole Miss plays and their defense should be like tired out all the time, like always on the field. But yeah, they're good. They they are really like one of the to me one of the most underrated units. But I've got Baylor at seventeen. I, I won't move them. This is probably bad, but I, I won't move Baylor. Um, I've got Kansas State eighteen, Illinois at nineteen. Uh, they won again. I've got Kansas at twenty. Very similar to last week. So my my thing with. My thing with Ole Miss is I, I kind of want to see Dart do it against a good team when when they can't run the ball. And, like, they had a little trouble running it against Kentucky, but, like, I think Quinshawn Judkins is, is their number one running back. Like, so he, is, he is better than Zach Evans, as good as Zach Evans is. And and that, that kid's a true freshman, by the way. Um, So I have Wake Forest at 16, 17 Ole Miss. 18 Kansas State. 
Utah at a 19, I still kind of like them. And then 20, Illinois. Illinois, Illinois, by the way, without Tommy DeVito for a little bit, I think. He got upsetting because they were looking really good. Yeah. They got Minnesota at home this week, and just having to play Arthur Sitkowski against that team is going to be a tough look. This man, Arthur, just I feel like he always finds his way to, like, get in games that matter. I don't know. Like, even at Rutgers, like, like they had, like, it's just – He's just not. I mean, good. it was it was him I'm and uh, ways to say he's not good. It was him and Noah Vedral just like battling it out for a little while. Like, how are you a Big Ten football team who can't feel the quarterback better than Stitowski and Noah Vedral? It, it's Rutgers. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, they are getting better players now. I'm not sure how. They're not though. They're actually not getting. I told you so a little bit ago. NIL is killing them. Like, they are not getting better players. They they were like before. Like like. When Chiano first got there and like they recruited. NIL wasn't in play yet, like they were getting like some like solid athletes. Yeah. To, Gavin uh, wins it. Gavin wins it. Gotta figure it out. Okay, let's continue. Syracuse at 21. Very quiet team. Like they had a buy this past week, I want to say. But still, like this team has not been talked about. And like ev- like people know Sean Tucker, but I don't think they understand how good this Syracuse team is, like even Kind of taking him out of the equation. They've just they're got a gonna squad. they're gonna beat NC State this week. They've got a good squad. I agree. I got Utah at twenty two. I've got Minnesota at twenty three, and then these last two. Listen, like I haven't given much love this whole season to these group of five teams. Deservingly so. I, I I thought I needed to to highlight just a few. So San Jose State, um, out of the Sun Belt, like or no, San Jose Mountain West. Um, not the Mountain West is. Brutal this year, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, not usually this bad, but they're solid. I, I think they got gonna... some. They they got some problems they're going through, like San San Diego State and um and Fresno State both have injuries at the quarterback position. Um, who else am I missing? And oh, Boise State's just been terrible. Like I mean, no other way around it. If you look at San Jose State, like they've crushed a lot, like all the group of five opponents. They Lost at Auburn 24-16 in a close game. They they beat up on Western Michigan, who's a pretty good team. Like, I don't know. I, I think they're, they're not terrible. And, like, if you look at their schedule, like, I do think they have a good chance of winning all these, all these other games. And so. Who's their, who's their one loss? Is there five and four and one? Auburn. Right? They, they lost to Auburn by eight. Oh, that's not terrible. No, no, it's not terrible at all. Like, they're, they're actually a really solid team. Like, I think they're going to win this conference. Yeah, I think I would agree there. And like they definitely have a chance of winning like nine games. They were in the conference title game a couple years ago. They were. This is starting to be who I don't know who their head coach is, but like might have to give them a look. Like they're not bad. Like they're actually a very good team. Um like yeah, I really got no problems with them. Like again, their their team stats as a whole, like they, they don't rush it very well. Like they have a really solid passing attack. Um they, they're they're an interesting team, and they've only lost one game. And I, I personally think that they're going to keep winning. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put them in because I don't want to forget about them when they're sitting there with like nine wins. All right. And at 25, we got Coastal Carolina. Very similar reasons, but they're yeah. actually like pretty good. So dude, I like, I like, I kind of watching them for me is like a love hate relationship. Like, 
their offense like works so well at the group of five level, but like I'm I'm interested to see how that would work if Chadwell got a power five job. Also, by the way, the AP voters ranked the wrong Sun Belt team. They ranked James Madison better than James Madison. Yes, yes. Well, like here's the thing, like, and it's stupid. Like James Madison isn't eligible for the postseason. They can't play in the Sun Belt. No, no, no. And I get that, and I I have a ton of respect for James Madison, but. Coastal, like if you're gonna rank a team like that, like Coastal's better. You should just rank Coastal. Gotta give respect to the Dukes. So I um I also ranked the group of five team this week. Uh my first time since week two. So I'll go through my my final rankings. 21, Kansas. Not the group of five team I ranked. They're good. Got a chance to kind of watch the highlights of that that game. They outgained TCU. They didn't win, but I thought they they earned a ranking in my poll this week. Uh, 22 and no, 23 just, like, pain me to rank these two teams. Notre Dame's probably one of the best 25 te- teams in the country right now. They've sort of figured some stuff out and controlled most of the game against BYU this past weekend. I have no idea why I put Purdue at 23, other than the fact that they just won on the road at Maryland and then and beat Minnesota the prior week. Like, I don't think they're good, but, like, they kind of earned it the last two weeks. And then 24 Syracuse would be higher if they didn't have a bye this past week and won an actual football game. And then 25 UCF, who I think is probably the leader in the clubhouse right now to get the uh, group of five spot in the New Year's Six. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Uh, These are fun rankings. We have a bunch of teams who haven't been ranked yet, and it's cool to kind of reward these teams instead of rewarding really mediocre SEC teams. We had a ton of teams in our composite uh, rankings this week that we're receiving votes like way more way more than usual yeah no we got AM receipt in our composite which you guys don't know it's just combining our rankings both our rankings the AP poll the Sagarin rankings and the, and the FBI I might uh I'm thinking about next week I don't know if I can get access to them but I think if I can I might add in the uh SP plus rankings yeah into this, which I think that's that's uh Bill Connolly who does this. Yeah, and their rankings, those rankings are kind of kind of weird though. Still, we haven't played enough games yet. Like those, they have, they have Texas, some interesting teams. They have Texas in the top five, so I'm I'm okay with putting the poll in. Yeah, no, it's uh, very interesting in, in teams that received votes. So, no. By the way, interestingly enough, no votes for North Carolina this week. Wow. Yeah. Total. So, the, any the current, of the polls. The, the uh, only undefeated team in conference play in the Coastal Division right now. Yeah. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. Is that the Mac Brown curse? Or what is this? That's the um, when the offense when the offense playing against us does something good, we don't know how, how to play defense anymore. Yeah. That checks out. Okay. I think this is going to wrap up the first of our two podcasts for this week. Really fun recap. Um, Again, we'll have one like literally right away after this. So I'm probably going to post this one tonight. We'll get to the other ones. You'll hear the other ones next week or later in the week. But again, thanks for listening and uh, uh, be on the lookout for the next one. Bye.